Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Gabby Rosen Podcast. Hello and welcome to That Gabby Rosen Podcast, part of the Acast Creator Network. This week, I'm joined by Dr. Amir Khan, best known for being the TV doctor on ITV's Good Morning Britain, Lorraine, and GP's Behind Closed Doors on Channel 5. He's a Sunday Times bestselling author, and he works with many animal and nature charities. But most importantly, he is a busy NHS doctor. He cares so hugely for everyone. He is one of the kindest and most compassionate men I have ever met. He speaks his mind and throughout the pandemic, he was there for us all. I do hope you enjoy listening. He has so much to teach us all. Please, can I ask you a favour? Would you mind following and subscribing, please? By clicking the follow or subscribe button. This is completely and utterly free, by the way. And you can also rate and review on Apple Podcasts, which is the purple app on your iPhone or iPad. Simply scroll down to the bottom of all of the episodes. I know there have been quite a few now. And you'll see the stars where you can tap and rate and also please write a review. Thank you so much. Doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. In fact, everybody loves you, Amir. <laughs> I know, well, I'm not sure about that, Gabby, but every time I hear that song, it reminds me of you. Because <laughs> every time we see each other, right, you, you sing it at me. It's gorgeous. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's because, so we've known each other since we did our sleep special. Yes. Then... You were GPs behind closed doors and we did a sleep special for Channel 5. Since then, excuse me, Sunday Times best-selling author. <laughs> yeah. Doctor on television, all-round love of everybody's life. If I mention your name now, do you know the amount of people that's going... Oh, this is the reaction. So they'll say, oh, do you know Dr. Amir? Yeah, he's a friend of mine. Oh... <laughs> oh, I love him. Literally, I don't think I've ever worked with anybody that gets that reaction. Oh. You know, Chris Evans, people say, did you ever shag him? The answer is no, I never did. <laughs> Nobody's asked me that about you. But, you know, it's it's all sorts of things they say. But with you, it's always... Very wholesome. Oh, they <laughs> love you. Well, you know what? I, I find, uh, and it is so nice to get that reaction, honestly. I'm so, so grateful. And I, I feel like I have a certain um, type of people, person who, who, who likes or follows me on social media. And it, it's women 
um, over a certain age and they can't decide whether they want to mother me or shag me. <laughs> it's probably both. <laughs> it might be both. It's That's both. The vibe I get. <laughs> that is so brilliant. See, the, the wonderful thing about you is so you give. So you're a, a natural giver. And as a, obviously, we're going to go back to you know, becoming a doctor and all of those things and your amazing book, but you're a giver because you not only care about people, you're extraordinary with animals. I know how much you love animals. Mm. Um, I'm lucky enough to have actually been in your house and I've met your hedgehogs. You have, Um, yes. (laughs) But also your love of nature, your love of the planet, you you are a giver. Were you always like this as a child? I, I definitely had a, a love for nature as a, as a child. And I, and I remember very clearly, you know, when we when I was young in school, in primary school in particular, um, and we were studying or studying, as you do when you're in primary school, <laughs> that wasn't so much, you know, <laughs> looking at picture books and, uh, <laughs> of kind of like woodland creatures. I, and I remember this really clearly, actually, I remember looking at woodland creatures and looking at badgers and foxes and hedgehogs and thinking, I've never, ever seen one of these things in my life. And I live, and they, they keep telling me in this book that they, they're here in this country. And I lived in inner city Bradford and, and we just didn't get, we've got rats and that was about it. And, uh, and, and so, so, so looking at that, I just felt very disconnected. And I would go home and my dad um, was really into nature as well. So we used to sit down and watch wildlife documentaries on the BBC. And, and that was the way we connected. Uh, and he was very unwell, my dad, for quite a long time. So he, he couldn't really take us out. So when I would go out to on my bike and things like that, I would come back and tell him about what I'd seen. Uh, and I think oh, wow. that would that kind of started off my 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 passion for nature and that idea that I couldn't see those creatures in those picture books that everybody told me were right here on our doorstep that's all I kept kept being told I was thinking well then no they're not because they're not here for us you know as an inner city children uh and and so I've always remembered that and I think now you know because I work in Bradford in a you know in a very inner city practice um I think you know part of the work I do uh, with regards to some of the charities I work with is is about getting access to green spaces in inner city areas rather than them going out to find them like I had to do. We want to yes. bring them into the inner city areas so they can get the health benefits that, you know, people who can afford to live in the suburbs get. Oh, see, that's that that was uh, uh, that's so important. I mean, I think I think we all take for granted. I'm very lucky. I live in quite a green part of London. And London is very diverse and, you know, we have, um, you know, extremes of everything here in London, but there are a lot of green spaces. Mm. And I'm lucky enough to have worked in Bradford for um, on and off for a, a year and a half. And I still stand by and say the most welcoming people mm. I think I've ever, ever met. But I was quite struck by how dense dense population and and no green spaces at all yeah Bradford actually has the young average youngest population in the UK uh and really yeah yeah and it's it's a really interesting city from a from a from a lot of points of view really it has one of the um it sounds awful but it has one of the most polluted air quality indicators in the UK just because of the way the city is situated within a valley and the way air moves uh and also it has one of the most densely 
populated uh, areas, city centres in the in the UK as well, and 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 some of the outskirts. So so all of that lends itself to really poor health outcomes, uh, and that's just not fair, I think. And and so we've got to do something about it. And it's not just Bradford; there are a lot of cities and and towns around the UK that that kind of fall into that category. And and we've got to kind of champion. Um, better health for you know for, through you know better funding but also air quality green spaces all of that kind of stuff for those inner city people uh, because life expectancy is lower when you live in inner city areas you know you've got higher risk of developing certain cancers do so um, uh, being at risk of mental health conditions poorer pregnancy outcomes all because of poor air quality uh, and so you know all of this thing that, that I talk about with nature and wildlife and biodiversity lends itself it's just better for everyone and and I think <laughs> I think you know when you, you talk about it talk about it and it seems so simple uh, but but it's just not being done for those people and I think that's why I keep talking about it. Well, keep keep shouting about it. I think that's so important. Um, the other thing is, of course, now we will. We I promise we're going to get to the book. But now you're a TV doctor, and you're a TV doctor on ITV, on Lorraine, and on GMB. And because you're on ITV, you're allowed an opinion. And um, I, I mean, of course, on the BBC you are as well. But but they, you know, it's very important that we see both sides of the story. But what is really encouraging to hear is you're you're very positive uh very positive um especially through the past 18 months coming up to two years of an extremely um uh, extraordinary time that we've all lived through throughout the world and goodness knows what's going to happen next i just hope for good things because that's me i like to mm. wave a magic wand but but throughout all of that you've been very outspoken and yet also remaining positive yeah that's that's quite a knack <laughs> well i think i mean th- th- there are there are some positive sides to uh, you know what's what's happened i guess uh, but but i you have to be honest i think um about what what as a doctor i think you've got to be really honest and the your integrity is really really the most important thing for me it certainly is uh and when you're seeing governments and policy makers getting it wrong several times over making the same mistakes you know going for popularity over the right call and i understand they have to balance not just health uh, but the economy but the two are so intrinsically linked you know you can't have poorly people and run uh, you know a successful economy and you know the delays in decision making um the poor decision making, you know, certainly around things like care homes, uh, delays in closing borders to certain countries has cost lives. And I don't I don't want to be political one way or another. You've just got to call out a wrong decision where there's a wrong decision. Uh, and and that cost lives. And I saw what that did to my patients. Um, and I continue to see what it does to my patients. And I am lucky in that ITV allow me to say all of this stuff. And I think it, I think it's important because, you know, it, there, I'm not a presenter. I'm not a, a, a political commentator. I don't have to be impartial. I just have to tell the truth. And that is my truth. That's what I see. Um, but on the flip side of things, you know, 
the, the vaccinations have been a, a success and the procurement of those vaccinations were down to the government. You've got to be honest about that. I've got to be honest about it. The distribution and the administration is down to the NHS and that's why they've been such a success. Uh, and I, you know, I've been lucky enough to be involved in the vaccination programme uh, since since the start of this year. And that has been a real positive. And, and, you know, going out to care homes, going out to homes with those with learning disabilities uh, has been a challenge, uh, but it was really, really rewarding. Uh, and I don't think you get that feeling in any other job, really. You know, when you go out, you've vaccinated a whole care home, and that means they're one step closer to seeing their loved ones. It's just, just a phenomenal feeling. And I think sharing those experiences has been really important for me as well. It is amazing what you and your colleagues have done. And, and that's, uh, you know, f- uh, amazing is the wrong word. I'm going to, uh, that's a complete understatement. Uh, I, you can't overstate the work that the everybody involved in the NHS, and I'm talking everybody from doctors, nurses, mm. porters, cleaners, every single person in the NHS, what they've been put through. And I spoke to a doctor only very, very recently who has said to me, we're on our knees. You know, we don't have bottles to do routine blood tests. Um, I've spoken to A&E doctors recently who said, I'm more exhausted than I I ever imagined exhausted to be. I mean, you know, looking after an elderly patient and he was, he he said he was on his knees. You know, it, and, and yet those, you know, those Thursday nights where everybody went out clapping, in the beginning, I found it very emotional. And then I kept thinking, this is, it's slightly, it's not enough. We can't just clap on our doorsteps and all feel emotional. Maybe the first week and the second week. And it was all done with heart and with love and the people who started it up. I, I, I think it was a beautiful thing. But actually, what we need to do is pay everybody more and respect everybody more and respect everybody who works in the NHS. Did you feel, did you feel... Obviously, you were exhausted because you talked about it. And you and I did a, a weekly catch up on mm. Instagram Live. And we had so many people watching that. It was extraordinary. Um, but did did you feel respected? Did you or, or like everybody else that I speak to in the medical profession at the moment, very much on their knees? Um, I, I think certainly in the early stages of the pandemic, uh, and you talked about those those early weeks where people were applauding, you know, that did feel genuine and real. It does feel now the pendulum has swung the other way because, because you know, there's a whole, there's a cohort of people who suggest that a lot of the failings in the pandemic are due to people in the NHS or all failings within the what? NHS. Yeah, there what? is. You know, all those people who say, oh, well, if the NHS can't cope with COVID, it shouldn't really be the way it is and all of this. Honestly, you see it all oh. the time and it's just horrendous. It's the same people who don't believe in the vaccinations and don't believe in the pandemic and don't believe in social distancing. It's that same group of people. Then they start to attack the the, the NHS. Uh, and also, you know, we've got to bear in mind now, you know, we are in a position that, yes, you know, the, the pandemic was, is awful, uh, but we're now in a position where where we've got this huge backlog to clear. And there are lots of people, and I speak to them and see them every day almost, you know, who have been waiting for treatments and surgeries. And I can understand their frustrations and why they're upset. I really can. Uh, um, and then that harbours a bit of ill feeling towards the NHS and the staff in there. Waiting times are huge. Uh, even for GPs, it's hard. I understand it's hard to get an appointment. Uh, and, and so there's just a lot of ill feeling 
for people. And we're, we are tired. We're exhausted. And, and, and but so are lots of people. So I, I don't want sympathy. I think people just want others to understand rather than be sympathetic. Respect. Yes, respect. respect. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to take time to clear it all up. It's going to take time to get back to where we were. It's going to take years for the NHS to clear this backlog up. And at the same time, you know, we're getting new referrals in as well as trying to manage the ones that were there before the pandemic. So it's, it is a really precarious situation. My concern is when there's a narrative within the NHS and when, when, it, when the staff are not being respected, when there's this huge backlog, when the government are pushing through bills, the healthcare bill, which will allow private organisations to bid for NHS contracts without competition, the, my, my concern is what generally happens in this situation, it's happened before in the NHS, is that private organisations will outbid NHS organisations for certain contracts. And everybody says, that's great, they, they, you know, it's more efficient, it costs less. Yes, that is fine in the initial phases. Eventually, the NHS contractors uh, will go out of business because they can't afford to run when they're not getting the contracts. So that just leaves the private providers in that space who then put up their prices because there's no other competition from NHS bidders. Uh, That then costs the NHS more overall, and it will get to a point where we just won't be able to afford the NHS. And that opens it out to insurance policies and privatisation. And that's a real concern. Uh, you know, that the, the more this narrative of the NHS can't cope, we need to open it out to private organisations uh, goes on, the more likely that the NHS won't exist in the way we know it today in the future. And that's a real concern. We're so lucky to have the NHS. Goodness me. When you look around the world and see what they've got, we're so, so lucky. Was it, was, before you became a doctor, were you as aware, this is a strange question, but were you as aware of, what the NHS was about and how important it was. No, no, I wasn't at all. And I, I and I think that's important because I think people who might not be embedded in the NHS, who don't use it so much, uh, don't really understand how important it is for lots of people and how important that idea of free at the point of access is is vital and and you know almost unique to us in the UK. Uh, and and yes, we'll go through ups and downs in the NHS, and we really will. And there are efficiencies to be made. I'm not sitting here saying the NHS is perfect. There's definitely efficiencies to be made, and there's things that could be done better. Uh, but you know, when you're sick and you need to see someone or seek help, the fact that you can just pitch up to a hospital and get really good treatment without having to worry about the cost of it is just incredible. It's just incredible. It really is. Uh, So uh, when did the decision for you to become a doctor happen? (laughs) I wish I had a really good story for this. Um, uh, and, and I, I, you know, when I was at school, there were there were a couple of other people in my class who wanted to be doctors, and they had brilliant stories. You know, that one of their relatives had been sick, and a doctor had saved their relative's life, and they wanted to be just like them, or they'd been sick, and 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 they'd seen an incredible doctor who'd inspired them. I don't have a story like that, to be honest, Gabby. I wanted to be a vet, <laughs> so uh, so I did all the subjects required. I mean, they overlap with with human medicine. What what you need to do at A level to do to to do veterinary medicine. Uh, and um, and I did all my work experience out of veterinary surgery, uh, working in reception. And um, and then my mum 
is a very typical Asian mother. Uh, Mama Khan, we Kahn. all know and love her. <laughs> very yeah. typical. And, uh, and, and, the, and so I said to her, when I was applying, it came to, to time to apply. And, and she'd humoured me, I think, up until that point uh, in terms of wanting to be a vet. So I said, oh, Mum, right, I'm filling out my UCAS form. Uh, I'm going to apply to do veterinary medicine. And she sat me down and she's completely calm about it. Uh, and she just said, no. And I went, sorry. And she, <laughs> she just said, you know, when we eventually move back to India, nobody has pets over there. You won't be able to make a living. You have to do medicine. I went, but I don't want to move back to India. But she went, oh, no, we'll all be moving back to India eventually. And, uh, and, and so I thought about it. I mean, I was only 17. I thought about it. Cause, oh, I didn't know we were moving back to India. OK, fair oh, enough. <laughs> so let's... Uh, Let's 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 do something that allows me to get a job over there. But you know, I tell that story, and it sounds a bit kind of mean of my mother. But you know, I couldn't be happier in the job that I am in now. You know, as a GP in the community yeah. that I lived in. Uh, it you know, and 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 so it pains me to say it, but I think not for the reason she said it, but I think she 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 got it right in terms of what course I should apply for. So I kind of fell into it, uh, and and then learned to love it. A bit like an arranged marriage, I would say, Gabby. You learned to love them. <laughs> your mother, so your mother has, has become a, a celebrity in her own right. Um, you, you talk about her cancer. You talk about... Um, Mama Khan's texts to you are, are now uh, uh, stuff of legends. Uh, you should be writing um, a drama or a sitcom based on her texts to you because they are magnificent. Um, how does she feel about having a son who is a Sunday Times best-selling <laughs> author? She honestly pays very little attention to it. Um, so, so my mum's main agenda in life is to have us all round at her house all the time, sitting down around her and just kind of chatting amongst herself. That's when when she's happiest. And anything that stops that from happening or restricts that from happening is just a big obstacle in her mind. So, um, so. If I say uh, I'm not coming round today or this weekend because I've got to go down to London and film this or do that, you know, she won't say anything like mean or anything. But she's—you can tell she's not happy about it. So, so, um, so I think she—it's in—you know—within herself, she's really proud of what I've uh, managed to do over the last few years. But she, she doesn't vocalise it. She's not the kind of mother who will tell me she's proud. Uh, and, and in a way, I respect her for that because it kind of spurs me to to do more. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it, yeah, she's, she's not, she would never watch anything that I'm on on the telly or read my book or anything like that. And that's absolutely fine. Uh, but I do sometimes overhear her telling her friends about some of the stuff I've done. So that's quite nice. Of course. Yeah, she's just <laughs> keeping it from you. She probably watches it all late at night when you don't know. She's no, up there she doesn't, in Gabby. her room. <laughs> she doesn't because when I was on GPs behind closed doors, that used to come on on a Wednesday evening. And uh, and and one Wednesday evening, my mum insisted that she watched it all the time. And I was like, oh, yeah, great. And one Wednesday evening, I went round um, to, to my mum's house and GPs behind closed doors was on. But she was watching one of her Indian dramas, which she's addicted to. She's addicted to several of them. And um, and Jeannie's behind closed doors used to come on at eight o'clock and it was 8.15 and she was still watching a drama. So I said to her, Mum, um, are you watching GP's Behind Closed Doors? She goes, yes, every week. I never miss an episode. And I, and I, and I said, oh, do you watch it while it's on the TV? And she went, yes, of course. And I went, do you record it? And she doesn't know how to, to kind of, 
you know, set the, the record. She went, no, no, I don't record it. I, um, I watch it. And I went, oh, right, okay. Can I just borrow the remote a second? So I took the remote and I went, it's on now, mum. And then she went, don't change the channel. I'm watching my drama. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm pretty sure you oh. just watch it. <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So you and I worked together. I remember saying to, I, I met the guy behind GPs, behind Glo- Closed Doors, uh, Knickerbocker, the production mm. company. And um, lovely guy who was in charge of it. And I said, oh, I've just uh, I've been asked to uh, present a show with Dr. Amir from one of your shows. Honestly, he did the same thing. He went, one of the nicest people you will ever meet. So it is, you epitomize everybody's cliche, but their dream cliche of how a doctor should be. And what is so wonderful about your book <laughs> is that some of the stories, <laughs> some of the stories of things that have happened behind so it's gp uh, uh, your your book the doctor will see will see you now um the stories are just hysterical i mean <laughs> hysterical there's one in particular that when you tell the story as well it, it, it i mean you've you've written it in your voice so i can because we know each other i could hear your voice when i read it but my word, you've got some funny stories in there. And did they really happen? <laughs> yes. So so they, they're all based on truth and, and the stories really did happen. I've had to change a lot of the, the details um, because of confidentiality. And where I didn't change them, I, I sought consent from the patients and, and they read the chapters in the book before they consent. And they were all really happy. I think um, my favourite, I mean, there are a, a number of funny stories in there. Uh, and my favourite one, I think, is... Um, when I, I write about going, I was on call uh, in the in the evening at the surgery, uh, and when you're on call, it's literally non-stop from start to finish. So you get in at eight o'clock in the morning, uh, and you just you, you have a normal clinic, but on top of that, anything urgent that comes through, you have to go and and sort out. So whether that's urgent patients coming in, or whether it's urgent home visits, you have to go and do. And I, and I I ha- also had a medical. I often have medical students sitting in with me because we're a big teaching and training practice. Uh, and I had I had this this girl who was a little bit shy and a bit quiet, and she was from Harrogate, so she was a little bit posh. And uh, and and we had this urgent visit to go and do to this care home, and it was about it was about four o'clock in the afternoon, and I'd been working flat out, and I hadn't had lunch, and I was so hungry. But we went out to do this um, this visit, and this poor lady was really unwell; she had a pneumonia, and I called an ambulance um, because her oxygen levels were low, she was struggling to breathe, and I was explaining to this. Um, this student, you know, how to assess a, a poorly elderly person with a pneumonia. And then I said, look, we've got to get back to the surgery, but we can't leave until the ambulance arrives because she's so unwell. And so I was looking out the window waiting for this ambulance to arrive. And I saw it in the distance. I said, OK, they're coming. Let's go and um, meet them in the car park. But I don't know whether it's because I was so hungry and, and I was hallucinating, but it wasn't an ambulance that arrived. It was an ice cream van. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> and then 
that's kind of had the conversation in my head going, do I really want a 99? No, can I wait? But I got a 99 with like juice, you know, the strawberry sauce and the, and the chocolate oh, bits and everything. So when the ambulance did arrive, which was shortly after I started eating my 99, I was standing outside with, um, with eating this ice cream and I was telling them about this poor lady inside. And I'd written down a letter because you have to write a letter when you send someone into, into hospital. And unfortunately, all the juice from the ice cream had dripped onto this letter. So the faces of the ambulance crew, as I kind of sheepishly handed over the letter to them with the strawberry sauce on, it was just so embarrassing. But reading it, reading it, I was la- you know, laughing out loud and hearing you saying it. You do write like you speak, but they are unbelievable stories. And I believe you but it's but also it shows that doctors are human yes you guys are human that's so important so how do you how does um it's a straight this is a strange question but how does fame grab you because you went from being an amazing local gp to being across television uh Sunday Times best-selling author. I'll just keep saying it. Sunday Times best-selling author, hosting shows on Channel Five. Um, quite frankly, you should be on Strictly. If you're not this year, you should be next year. Um, how does fame grab you? Um, the the thing I would say about it is that I've met some incredible people like yourself. I don't want to suck up too much, Gabby, but like yourself, and I've had some made some incredible friends that I would not have met otherwise. But outside of that, not a great deal has changed, to be honest, Gabby, because I still, you know, I think because I live in Leeds and, and, you know, still work at the same surgeries, same hours, you know, nothing much has changed from that. So everything else is on top of top of it. And also because nobody I know actually watches me or reads my books. So nothing has changed from that point of view either. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, apart from working more I think that's that's the big difference you know I'm working a lot more and where whereas I would have had time to myself I'm now doing other things and working in, in a whole different kind of uh, area um it, it it hasn't changed much to be honest and I quite like that I quite like the fact that I've got my GP job that I go to and then every so often I dip into this other world which is just like some, you know, I watched you and everyone, you know, other people I work with growing up. And the fact that I'm talking to you now kind of blows my mind. The fact that you came to my house, Gabby, I was like, I was like, oh my God. Gabby don't be so silly. No, don't be so silly. Because I'm a fan. I'm a fan of everyone I meet. Uh, and uh, and it just, it's just incredible that I can, I actually get to meet them. And it's all I can do is to hold it together. I think that's my main concern. <laughs> Well, you're you're mad, and you've been here, and it, we, you you're definitely a friend of the family because all the family loves you. But but the not only that, but you train GPs, so you're a, a, a you know you teach the the upcoming GPs. How did they are they aware of your? And I'm I'm doing that awful air thing, but you can't see me, so that's fine. Fame, are they aware of that you're now a television doctor? Um, in a way, yes. So, so when you train GPs, you 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 train them. They, they they're literally you have a very close relationship with them because it used to be when uh, that you'd get one GP trainee per trainer, and you know you you tutor them, you mentor them, you'd watch them consult, they would watch you consult, and you'd have a very close relationship. But now, because there's such a shortage of GPs, 
I have four GP trainees at the moment. Uh, four? And wow. Yeah, and it's a lot of work because it's not just, a, you know, because you have, they have all these assessments they need doing and I have to read all their entries on the e-portfolio when they write about patients they've seen and all of this kind of stuff. It's a lot of work. And I guess, you know, what I've seen, I think because... Because we don't often get to see each other consult, you know, as, as qualified GPs. I, I would never see other qualified GPs consult. So what GPs Behind Closed Doors did, in a way, was kind of show people how we consulted or how I consulted. So what I found that's done now is, because GP trainees, there's a, there's a spectrum of them. There's some excellent, brilliant ones that just sail through, and then there's some ones that struggle for various reasons. And what would I find now because of GPs behind closed doors, because people may have seen me consult and think of me in a certain way, I get um, I get a lot of the GP trainees who need extra input and, and, and um, particularly around communication skills. And that's absolutely fine. And that's been the reality of GP training for many, many years. But now um, I think because people are very open about it and, and actually GP trainees sometimes say, can I can you assign me to Amir because... I've seen him on GPs behind closed doors and my communication needs improving and all of that. Uh, so so it's lovely to get that. It is a lot more work though, Cammy. So you have to sit in a lot more. Do you find the time? Uh, well, that, you know, that is my favourite part of everything I do, teaching and training. So, so for, Really? I, I teach, yeah, that's my favourite thing above everything else. So teaching medical students, nursing students and, and GP trainees is, is the best part of what I do because I'm such a fan of general practice when it goes well and when you get it right. Because you've got to be honest, there are some rubbish GPs out there and you've got to be honest about that and, and that don't connect with patients. There's some excellent ones that work really, really hard that do do all of that stuff. So, you know, there's no point me sitting here going, oh, there's terrible GPs out there. They give us all a bad name. You've got to change it. You've got to then train GPs to be good GPs. And I think, you know, lots of GPs have that responsibility and we've got to, you can't just complain, you've got to be a doer, don't you? And you've got to change things, otherwise it'll never change. So I feel, you know, instilling that ethos about patient-centred care, good communication, you know, making sure people are heard and listened to in GP trainees. And it's not just about passing exams, it's about really being a good doctor. Uh, then then you can, you, you can, you can, you can make a difference. You can. It's a small difference because it's one doctor at a time, but it's a, it's an important difference, I think, because that doctor will go on and work in a practice and see lots and lots of patients. And each one of them will, you know, it's kind of like, a you know, it's something you've had an input in, I guess. And and also, are they aware that you are now the disco king and the karaoke <laughs> king? And do they ever ask to join you on a Friday night which for your kitchen oh. disco? You know what? If they If they bring up any of that stuff, while I'm at work in the surgery. I feel like they're two very separate things. The stuff I do on social media and, and the telly and the stuff I do at work, I feel very, very, I feel in my head, they're very separate things. I'm sure that's not the case for other people. So when, when it's a bit like when you have one group of friends that don't really meet another group of friends and then they meet and it's all a bit weird for you. It's, <laughs> it's just like that. So when a patient says to me, oh, I've read your book or I follow you on social media or when a trainee says that or a colleague, I feel really weird and embarrassed. Like, well, how? It's not for people I actually know. It's for people I don't know for them to watch that. <laughs> 
so, so it's a really awkward feeling for me. And I know that sounds nuts, but that it just it just is. So when they try and bring up, oh, I follow you on social media, I just kind of brush it under the carpet and then go, right, let's talk about your assessments. That's so funny. I mean, because you do you do your cooking. Oh my goodness, you made the best gluten free cake I've ever tasted in my life. Oh. So uh, for us, but but the uh, you know when you do your cooking and you do your dancing and you do your your karaoke, all of those things that you do. That's again, I'm going back to the word I used at the beginning. You're a real giver. And doctors, when doctors get it right, it's about giving. It's mm-hmm. it's an amazing profession. It really is. You, I mean, the, the thing is, you know, people will say to me, oh, well, you're really brave to stand in front of people and do something live. Oh, wow, what you do? Nothing. I literally talk. That's all I do. I talk and have conversations with lovely people. And and then there are people like you who save people's lives. Do you ever get moments where you sit back and think, wow. And I know there's a really tough side as well. I've got um, uh, doctors in, in my family and I remember my uncle always saying, there are moments where your heart breaks. You know, you lose a patient, whatever it is that your heart breaks. But you save people's lives. I mean, that's just incredible. Isn't it incredible? <laughs> well, what I would say, first of all, Gabby, is what you do is not easy. No, 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 I'm not about me. I'm talking no, no, about I know, you, but, you, but that you, communication you, side of things you, and connection is very you. similar. It's very similar. You know, c- connecting and communicating and listening and, and all of that kind of stuff. No, 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 and saving not... people's lives. We're talking about you. Is it awesome <laughs> saving people's lives? I mean, you what a thing to do. think of it like that, to be honest. I never really think of it like that. You know, you go in and you don't know what's going to, but what you're going to get booked in that day. So so a lot of my job, Gary, rather than just saving lives, is listening to people and uh, and, and making sure they feel listened listen to and understood and coming up with a plan that, that is, in you know, shared with them, making sure they feel involved in everything. And every so often you'll get an urgent emergency case or, a, you know, something that is a really worrying symptom that makes you think this could be cancer and you've got to sort that out. And, and, and you know, you, you, because it's such a mix and you don't have time to reflect because you're only seeing patients every 10 minutes. So you never have time to kind of go, oh, OK, uh, um, uh, I, 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 I don't I don't I, I think lots of doctors don't really think of it in that in that regard. And also, by the time I finish work, I've got to go and see my mum, Gabby. So I don't have time yeah. to, to <laughs> sit back and think. <laughs> Otherwise and I'll also, be in trouble. <laughs> your family is is very important. And um, and it is to you because there's often pictures of your sister and your nieces and nephews. And um, I, I still can't quite work out how you have. I think you don't have seven days a week. I think you have a different week than we all have <laughs> because you also have all the travel. I don't I actually don't know how you do it. And then you write this Sunday Times bestseller. Um, oh, by the way, are there going to be more books. I am, I'm writing another book at the moment, um, and uh, I know we talked about it, but it's it's very different to to the book I've, I've done. It's very different to to the Doctor Will See You Now, but it's 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 it, it's based on some truths I have lived through, but it is fictional, but kind of loosely fictional. Yeah, don't take too say. much. Keep it <laughs> yes. as a, keep it as a surprise because it's it's just brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant, um, but. Your, but family is very, you know, you talk about your family a lot. Was it like that when, when you were a child? Was fa- were, were the family very tight, very close? 
yeah, we, we've always, I mean, like, we've always been tight. We've, we, we've got, I've got six sisters and my mum, my dad died, you know, when I was, when I was a teenager. And, um, and, and so we have always kind of, that brought us closer together. And then my sisters got married and, and, you know, they had kids and I adore my nephews and nieces like lots of people do. Uh, and, and, and so, yes, and there's, you know, there's been some stuff that, that, you know, makes you, you know, that, that tests relationships, doesn't it? And, and I think, you know, got to be honest about it, but we, we, we kind of, get through that and and certainly the relationship I have with my nephews and nieces because they range from age like three to 27 uh and and so so I'm really close to them uh and and that that makes a you know that enriches life I think uh How you know, having children in the family and you and also your your gardening I know we're, we're not going around in a full circle but you and your garden and and your the butterflies, the plants for butterflies, the stuff for bees, all of those things. And you've got involved in many charities now to do with that. That also, then again, is about giving. But but your garden is incredible. Yeah, the garden. I mean, you've been to it. It's not a massive garden by any stretch of the imagination. But what I've done is is use the space as well as I can. And, and I'm not a gardener. I'm not an expert. I'm an enthusiast. And you learn as you go along that many plants have unfortunately been casualties along the way but uh but but things you just think you just learn and you read and you learn and you do things and things you know nature arrives in your garden as a result of it and you go oh well, that works and you do more of that and 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 through that time and it's taken you know several years um you kind of you just it just it just works so well and and certainly you know working in the nhs and through the last 18 months or so in the pandemic the garden has been a savior for me like green spaces have for many people if you don't have a garden then other uh, public green spaces have, have been really important uh, um, but coming home you know certainly after some of those tough days uh, at the start of the pandemic the garden was just just a savior i'm so grateful for it but also it's lovely that you do, do share it on social media i think that's really lovely it's a way of giving back again, giving again. Um, so one of the things we always say on this podcast is we want to know what makes people belly laugh. Now, I know that you can giggle. You and I uh, have giggled <laughs> hugely together, especially you trying to teach me how to Bangra dance. I mean, <laughs> please. I really, I haven't got it yet. I still haven't got it. But, I um, think you're brilliant at it. <laughs> I think you are. But what makes you properly, properly belly laugh? If you could, if you just need to laugh, what would, what it, what would it be that just sets you off? I, I love, um, well, I guess, you know, my colleagues at work, I've got one very good friend and, and, uh, you know, chatting to them and telling funny stories, just kind of chatting to my colleagues at work, I guess, makes me laugh because we share so many experiences and you've got to see the funny side of things. Uh, and so I've got one very good friend who's one of the nurse practitioners who I work with. And we just sit, we arrive at the same, we're one of those, I, I set off to work at seven and so does she. And we chat on the phone all the way to work. And then we meet each other in the car park oh, and we chat there. And then we go lovely. to the kitchen, make a coffee all laughing and chatting and laughing and chatting and just telling really kind of the things that we've done that day and uh, and we just laugh from start to finish at work whenever we whenever we see each other and I think that is true for many people within the NHS you know you support you you, you get a lot of your support from your colleagues and certainly I do at, at, at my work and, and you know we've been on holiday together and all of this kind of stuff and it's just you know my 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 NHS colleagues support me but they also crack me up Honestly, Gabby, they're hilarious. Do you know, that over the years, there have been so many um, 
well-known stand-ups who were doctors. I think Harry Hill was a doctor, wasn't he? Yes. Uh, yeah. many, and many, many others uh, over the years. And um, maybe that's your next thing to do. <laughs> no, I think I'll stick to the GPing. <laughs> <laughs> You are wonderful, um, um, Amir. We we love you so much as a family. You're, we, you know, you you just are, are very special to all of us, but also to everybody out there. And um, uh, thank you very much for chatting to us on this podcast. And also thank you for being the giver that you are. Thank you so much. I've, I've had a great time. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much for listening. Coming up next week, actor and top podcaster Craig Parkinson. That Gabby Roslin podcast is proudly produced by Cameo Productions and music by Beth Macari. Could you please tap the follow or subscribe button? And thank you so much for your amazing reviews. We honestly read every single one of them and they mean the world to us. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah.